Here we go. We are all set. We are super excited about this this morning because you know what today is. It is my absolute favorite day of the week. And the reason being is because, hold on, I just lost where I was at. There we go. I think we're back up and running. There we go. Um, it is Wealth Wellness Wednesday. What does that even mean? Well, we're going to chat a little bit, a little bit about before we get to our guests because we've got so much going on. But good morning, everyone. This is Carol Sue, aka Naughty Boss, live from Vero Beach in the home office today with two sisters. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Janice, aka Wellness Diva 5.0, and yes, I am nicer after kickboxing. So, Wealth Wellness Wednesday. Although, you know, still having a bad hair day, who cares, whatever. Wealth Wellness Wednesday, and we are so excited to welcome back our amazing guest, Michelle Olivier. And we had Michelle back on the podcast on February 11th. So, you know, a little over three months. You know, it's been a minute. Yeah, and we were... Um, we were so blessed that we were able to reciprocate and Carol Sue and I were on your podcast with your sister Bridget. So welcome back, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. We've, I feel like we make a lot of podcasts together, but I feel like we make good podcasts. So that's okay. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And entertaining and fun and informative. How cool is that? <laughs> I feel like that's like the ultimate podcasting trifecta. Like, you know, Fun, informative, and funny. Like, there you go. Done. Yeah. And it's it's life. Uh, so give us some updates. I know our, our listeners and viewers are super excited. Uh, we did get quite a bit of feedback uh, from both podcasts. Everyone enjoyed it. They love the charisma. So we're feeling that. And we're super excited before we get into that to announce that you are going to be one of our roundtable panels for our 250th episode. And we're super, super pumped and excited about that because we love collaborating, not only with many different aspects of health and wellness, but different personalities. So it's good. It's going to be great. Well, I mean, I think you guys always bring eclectic. <laughs> so I have faith that the panel will be, uh, if nothing else, very interesting for everybody involved. I'm super excited about it. Um, well, so we're blessed to have you. So tell our viewers and listeners what, give us some updates. What's going on? How are your, how's your podcast going? Where are your, where's your, do you have any new visions, new pivots in your journey? What's going on? So uh, podcast is going well. Um, work is going well. I'm doing some um, recruitment at the moment. I'm doing some hiring, which is good for me and good for business, but also there's a reason that I don't always do a lot of recruitment anymore. I'm too old for that shit, as they say. Yeah. Um, uh, but otherwise, things are going really pretty well. Um, the market is starting to really heat up. Like there's people are just flying off the shelf. If you are looking for work and you're not getting a job within about four weeks, you need to get help because something is going wrong. Because right now, like, Good people are just not staying on the market at all. So. And, you know, you bring light to that because obviously of what your your career is and, and, and maybe tell, because we might have some new listeners on, let them know what you do, but also correlate that with what's going on with those that are staying home, sitting on that couch and collecting that money. <laughs> and so 
Uh, so I am a recruiter of over 20 years experience, but I also um, do resume writing and career coaching and all of that um, at the same time. So, and usually I focus more on those parts of my business. So like I said, at the moment I'm doing, um, getting back to my roots and doing some old school recruitment stuff as well. Um, so that's kind of where that knowledge base comes from. And obviously like I keep up with the market trends and all of that because I have to for what I do. Um, and so what we're seeing is that the market we're expecting right now, we have more people, there are more jobs being advertised, more open vacancies now than there were in February of 2020. Um, so before the pandemic hit, we are anticipating being at a national unemployment level of less than 4% by um by Q4 of this year. And for people who don't speak business, Q4 uh, means like the end of October. Um, so that is insane. Like that's such a turnaround from where we are. And what we're seeing is that with the pandemic, people had to make really hard choices. People lost everything, right? People lost homes, they lost their apartments, what have you. And more and more people had to move in with you know, consolidate their living. They moved in with mom and dad. They moved in with friends, what have you. And as a result of a lot of that, people are in a position, like they, they've fattened down the hatches as it were. And so they're in a position to hold out for something that they really want to do. And what we're seeing for one of the first times is that there's a lot of pushback from candidates that in the past, historically, People were like, oh shit, I need a job. There's a job, grab the job, hate the job, change the job in, in a year. And now people are like, those guys are jerks. I'm not gonna work there. I'll just keep being poor for another month because they've already trimmed like everything down so that they're, you know, they're able to survive and they're just refusing. And so clients who have unreasonable expectations in the recruitment process, Clients who don't treat candidates well in the hiring process are just being told no. And so are clients that don't pay reasonably. So we, you know, historically, there are areas that are really, really underpaid where people are working, you know, who have the expectation that people are going to work 50 hours with the extra 10 hours a week being for free. And people are just saying no. And I think that's a really interesting time for our market and as a result a lot of clients and a lot of businesses that i know and work with are like ah wait a minute we can't just do what we want to do anymore what does that look like you know i got an interesting question regarding that because i, I think there's also a flip side to that and and i could be totally off base totally wrong and you're the expert so i would love to hear your input what do you say to that person that you know is obviously holding out or and or prefers to collect what they're collecting and what does that do to long term with their resume because certainly if i was uh you know we are independent business owners of, of ourselves but if i was in the hiring market and i was presented a resume where there's this you know understandably a gap for a certain time frame during that pandemic time but now it's it's stretched knowing what the market is right now, knowing that there's a plentiful of jobs, 
and the old fashioned mindset as well as, you know, you work up the ladder. Some want to skip the ladder and just go to the top. But at the same time, I can understand those that are looking for a decent wage as well. Now they're not out. Like you said, they're, they're, they're not accepting the offer. Now you've got this huge gap in your resume long after the pandemic that stretches really from, I would say, you know, the end of last year, early this year, because that's when things started to turn around a little bit. We, the, you know, different states were opening up as early as back as December, some even earlier than that. And now, you know, here a year later, we're even going into Q4, as you say, and they're still not working. And now as a, an entrepreneur or a business owner, you're looking, you're saying, I know that there's been jobs out there. What have you been doing for nine months, 10 months, 11 months? So I, there's, that's a very complicated question. Right. And so there's a very complicated answer to that question. So the short answer is that different companies and, and hiring managers are handling it differently. So some people are sticking to what you rightfully pointed out is a dated view of if you have a big gap, that's a problem. Um, but I will say that that is one of the areas specifically that HR recruitment and everybody else is doing a lot of work to say, look, that's kind of a dick move on your part. Life happens. Moms get sick and you have to take time out to go care for them. People have babies, right? So that mentality of if you have a gap, then there's something wrong with you is a extremely damaging to women who tend to be the ones to leave to be carers, but B it just doesn't acknowledge the reality of life. So I have a client at the moment who's an amazing guy, great worker, but he took eight years out to be stay at home dad. And so he has an eight year gap on his resume for the absolute best reason in the world to have an eight year gap on your resume. And so what we're, there's a lot of work right now in the community to get people to change that old mindset that people don't just, you know, do nothing but go to work. That is not a reasonable way of seeing human beings that we have to understand that they have more nuance and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of work being done to change the way that we view the gap situation. The other thing that I would say is that the moving to a almost entirely virtual marketplace has meant that suddenly a lot of people can do a lot of jobs that they couldn't before. And so what we're finding is like, I live in Austin locally, we cannot, like we are struggling to find waiters, uh, people to work in fast food, people to work in retail. And that's for all kinds of reasons, right? Because it, it's not because of the extra 300 bucks a, a week because the governor of Texas has already declined that money. So that's not the problem. The problem is that people can go online now and get a job making $17 an hour working from home. So they don't have to have a car. They don't, right? You think of all of the money that you save if you're working from home. Plus it makes things like childcare easier and all of those other elements. So why in the name of all that's holy would I stop doing something that pays on net substantially more 
for my household to go say, do you want fries with that? Which is not exactly an exciting and rewarding career for people, right? People weren't like, yes, someday I'm going to work for Burger King. Like that wasn't a thing, right? <laughs> right. People take that job because they need a job because they need to feed their families sure. and they need to work. And so when we shifted the economy last year to suddenly customer service positions are available work from home, like all of this work just opened up in the cloud, you have a lot more competition every single place. And I think that that is the bigger issue for those types of roles. And then again, from the hiring manager perspective, I have hiring managers I work with that are like, nah, they've been out of work for a while. I don't want to take a risk on that. You know, what's wrong with them? And my answer is nothing's wrong with them, but you're not going to find somebody with that attitude. For the first time in my 20 years of recruitment experience, hiring managers have to check themselves that the old mentality of if they really want this job, they will blah, or that it's their job to show me why they are worthy of my position is just dead. Mm. And candidates are saying, no, you're just not that special. <laughs> right. And I, and, I, and I truly understand that perspective and that mindset. I, I truly do. I'm really more talking about because we also we also have to be mindful of that there are some that are lazy that you know uh, you know not all states have shut that $300 down um, you know I know people on the average to if you decide not to kind of go out and look for one person it's about 42,000 a year to to not look now, I think it's a great idea that the states are buckling down. I also appreciate that the mindset has to change from a managerial perspective. But there's also a segment of the population. That there's always, a, there's always uh, outliers in every direction. Right, and there's always going to be. And I think that one of the key pieces to getting people back to work is a fair wage but a fair wage per what the job entails. I, and I think maybe that's the wake up call to employers is, you know, we have to be more competitive. Um, also keeping in mind that, yeah, you still got to work up the ladder if you choose this, um, because you know, we, okay, perfect example, you talk about Burger King, there are many successful managers that worked up the ladder um, to, to actually, you know, work towards that position. So there is something to say about the value of that. However, the industries, and to me, it's like a catch 22 because, you know, basically these businesses were, were shut down j just like uh, somebody, you know, was shut down from working. Well, guess what? The business had to shut down too. So I look at it from both, both perspectives where, okay, people want more money. I've got to do that, but I've been shut down just as long as you've been staying home. Sure. And, and you that, know, where the balance is with that, where's where this going to, where's this money going to come from to, to yeah. excel someone at a higher level. And I agree. And the other thing that has happened is that for a lot of businesses and industries as a whole, part of the shutdown taught them to work smarter. 
So they, it forced a lot of better technology, a better, a lot of automation that had been kind of lurking in the shadows, but they hadn't really done yet. And now that's been implemented. So they're saying like the hospitality sector, for example, particularly hotels, they're never going, they do not foresee a need in the next five years to go back to what used to be hundred percent stuff that they will probably not exceed 30% of where they were. And that is huge, but it's because they made better systems. So there was a lot of things that previously had been done by individuals or very manually and that sort of thing. And then when COVID came and they got stripped to their core, one of the things about that is it gives you the opportunity to redo everything. And a lot of organizations did that. So as much as there is a lot of opportunity and there are positions, one of the things that is a challenge is that a lot of people are going to have to pivot and that there's not going to be a path back to where they came from. If you previously did, you know, front desk people at, in hospitality, like at hotels and that sort of thing, and, and salespeople as well, they're just not, they figured out different ways of doing it and they're not going back to that same level. So if that's where you come from, you need to start thinking about where else you want to go because yeah, they're open again and people are going back, but they're just working fundamentally differently than they used to. And that's true for a lot of other sectors as well. Healthcare is a huge one for that, that they, when everybody got diverted to COVID wards and, and fighting the pandemic and they were trimming back on all the administrative stuff and trimming back and trimming back. Well, now they're like, wait a minute. We just automated all of this stuff that we used to pay six people to do. Now I don't need six people. And those technological solutions were there for a long time, but they, you know, it takes, it takes something to make you want to input that change. Um, and, and with that analogy though, which to me is confusing, I think it's con confusing to the, the consumer as well, is taking that into consideration what you're saying. So there are all these organizations, these businesses, these professions are trimming down then why is there so many jobs available? Because every time they trim, somebody else gets a boost, right? So if the reason that <clears throat> hospitality needs fewer customer service people is because they have learned that they can outsource it to a centralized customer service bank, which then takes, you know, more people. Well, now there are jobs in, in that area. If the answer is that they have a new IT system that allows them to do all of this stuff, well, now there are jobs working for that IT company doing technical support, doing software sales, doing all of those types of things. So there is major shifts in the market. And one of the problems with a shifting market is that, you know, people's skill sets didn't change overnight. So last, you know, a year and a half ago, maybe you were working front desk for the local Marriott, great. Today, that job may not exist, but there are jobs in software sales where you didn't just wake up this morning, suddenly proficient software sales person. That's right. not how that works. Right. So 
there's a moment of like, we now need to help <clears throat> our workforce as a whole figure it out. And the good news is that there's such skill shortages in those areas that companies are really genuinely looking for things like transferable skills and looking for ways that they can provide that upscaling themselves. A, because I think that the pandemic has made a lot of employers a little empathetic that like we get it. Right. 2020 sucked for everybody. We're all kind of in this like, let's not be a jerk to each other. Apparently it's another 18 months to make up for it. Right. Like, and they are, there's just not enough people for them to hire. So they have to think outside the box. I can't hire, I can't bring you five candidates for your software sales because they don't exist because your competitors already hired them. What I can do is find you five senior, you know, really seasoned salespeople, and then you can teach them software. I can do yeah. that. That, that they makes so much from sense. A hotels industry. And so that's what you're seeing a lot of schools, um, a lot of like midlife changing uh, programs like the Flatiron School, like Aspireship, those kind of guys are seeing a huge increase in people coming to them from all kinds of industries, trying to pivot into something where there is some ongoing demand. What would you say is the hottest market right now? Like what, you know, obviously. Like if you're this, uh, you got a job? Well, yeah, yeah. That like you say, oh my God, they, they keep hiring. They keep hiring. It's not stop. This is the hot market. You know, if, you, if you're not uh, adverse in this, get, get that training. What would you say is like the number one or um, number two or, or a few? Yeah, I would say SaaS sales are ridiculous. Um, and uh, then... SAS, S-A-A-S, SAS, um, are ridiculously hot. Um, anything cloud-based, so AWS, Azure, any of those type of skill sets um, for that migration. Um, and then most of the technical skill sets out there, um, they, like developers, all of that, because everybody is kind of doubling down on being remote, doing things with more technology, et cetera. We're seeing a reinforcement of investment in that area kind of across the board. So companies are like, okay, well, we managed to kind of hobble through 2020, but we really like working from home. So let's find a way that's not hobbling and doesn't suck to be able to keep offering that to our staff. And so with that, then there are new tools that they need. And like, we know, um, I don't know if you guys did a lot of virtual events, but most of them suck. <laughs> most of the platforms, no offense to the people out there with those platforms, but oh, let's just say there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, right? Like the virtual event space is not a great one. So Everybody acknowledged that. And now, like, I know personally of like five startups in the virtual event space that are like, hey, we've got a better solution because all of these sucked. So that type of thing, because we know people are going to want to keep doing that. There were things about having virtual events that people loved. It's easier to get higher quality speakers. It's a lot cheaper to get higher quality speakers because now you're not flying them in from wherever. You just like, they dial into the Zoom, bada bing, speaker. 
So, and you have a wider net you can throw in terms of attendance, because again, people don't have to physically show up. They can just dial in for the event. So people are looking to move to hybrid events, to fully online events for, and that's true for a lot of like the conferences that I know and, and care about. And so in that space and that being the case, you now have this whole new huge market for technology that didn't exist before or did, but on such a small level that it wasn't really the same level. So you just have like, we're having this really mo huge moment of shift in terms of how we do business, how we think about business. And then at the same time, we're getting pushback from our candidates, forcing us to change how we interact with them. And so, I mean, it's kind of exciting for a recruitment geek like me. Um, <laughs> to be in all of it. <laughs> That's for amazing. Sure. And, and, and I have a, a comment, because um, for instance, I know, you know, you'd mentioned about like the, the software uh, people that are hiring and, you know, maybe the salespeople and they can um, train, these companies can potentially train them. A lot of states now are like bribing their citizens you know, get a job and we will give you a $1,000 bonus when you stay with that company for two months. I would rather see that $1,000 go into the training aspect of it. I, I don't know if Texas is doing that, but Connecticut just I have a problem with that. A well, bit. you know what, to be honest with you, I mean, I've seen um, different restaurants, uh, you know, that kind of thing say, hey, you know, come on in, you know, we're doing a, um, uh, a bonus, a higher bonus, but yeah. the, a higher bonus has always been, especially in corporate world, has uh, always been. Uh, Usually it was really reserved for your, your, your top director positions, VP positions, whatever. So that part is not unusual. What I think is unusual is probably the sector of a lot of people not in corporate America really didn't know other than word of mouth. So it does seem a little odd for a fast food joint, a restaurant to have a higher on bonus. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with the higher on bonus per se, because it's always been done. Uh, you know, the, these companies are hurting. They want to they they want to get back to business, and they are trying to find creative ways. And they're really they're really getting their mark on that from what's always been done. Just most people didn't know. Right, but here's the thing: I don't have a problem with higher on bonuses. I think that's a great thing for companies. This is the state of Connecticut. Oh, the actual state, the physical the state. state of Connecticut. Um, not a I have a problem with that. Yeah. I know that they receive some type of federal funds and they get to decide what to do with it. I think that is total BS. Yeah. I mean, I, like think, I think that, um, I think it's complicated at best. I think that, you know, the restaurant industry in particular has worked people not in any kind of a livable wage for a very long time. Um, the fact that, you know, tipped stuff make $2 an hour. And with COVID, what they saw was that they can't live on tips. 
and increasingly, you know, there's more, you know, we've people, the argument against changing it has always been, well, if you don't like it, then you go get a job somewhere else. So they did. Right. And, and now people are like, we can't open the restaurants. Well, friend, you're like, you can give a sign on bonus, but you know, it's not going to pay my rent in three months. That sign on bonus you gave me today. And as we have more and more, so what they found is that as people are ordering out more tips go down to almost non-existent, right? All the delivery services, that sort of thing. The, the people packaging your food, putting it together at the restaurant, like they're spending their time doing that, but they don't get a tip for that. So it's not a livable wage. And so we have, we're having kind of a reckoning that we've had food service in particular has had a notoriously bad run of paying people stuff they can't live on. And the argument has been, oh, but these, you know, they're not really adults. They're, you know, teenagers working summer jobs, but they're not because, you know, the, that, that just doesn't, there's more hours than there are teenagers, right? <laughs> like teenagers have to go to school. So if you want to have a cheeseburger at midday on a Wednesday, you got to have somebody that's not a teenager there to serve it to you. And so these are people who have lives, who are adults, who are trying to you have families and, you know, all of, and have homes that they need to pay for. And the food service industry and others, so agriculture is another one, right? Our agricultural practices have long since paid, not very much. And now all of a sudden, nobody wants to show up to pick the asparagus. They're having to till fields under. And they are now at a point, I saw um, something the other day that there is uh, somebody paying $20 an hour, full benefits and paid time off uh, for people to come and literally pick asparagus and they cannot get anybody to do it. They're gonna have to till fields. I know it's crazy. The, the other aspect of the uh, restaurant industry and country club uh, industry is typically speaking, like you said, you know, they're getting paid a, a lower wage per hour than they are relying on that fixed tip and or tip at, at a regular restaurant. Well, the busboy doesn't get a tip and not even the chef. And I, I've, I've seen a shift in that as well, that chefs are now being part of that till because they're the ones that are, you know, creating the menus, working their, their butt off. And unless you are like a celebrity or chef or a very high end, you could have the same schooling but you just didn't get that break to to work in that five-star restaurant yeah. upscale where the chef is making it a, a very decent wage versus a, another chef that's had the same schooling but is still making 15 to you know 18 dollars an hour which doesn't sound bad but when you know most of them working 40 50 60 hours a week and then some because they can't get the help in there so you're right. There's there's a lot of shift. There's a lot of pivots. And I don't think, I mean, there's not, to me, there's not a real easy answer. I mean, I guess we could always go back to, okay, well, you know, the restaurants, the corporations or whatever, you know, made the money all these years. Well, now they got to start paying their help, which I agree. Um, but I look more to like the mom and pop, the, you know, the smaller, the smaller business. Yeah, and that's the problem, right? Is that 
the policies and stuff that we put in place and we think McDonald's paying their people, I think I read that they paid everybody a minimum of $15 an hour and increased the overall wages commiserately proportionately with that. It would result in a 50 cent increase per Big Mac. Okay. <laughs> like as a consumer, great. I will pay you 50 cents more to know that everybody there is, is, is able to live happily. And that sounds, that's so easy at McDonald's scale. Right. But you're absolutely right that when it's minority, right, when it's a smaller one, and especially for minority run business owners or family run businesses, it's extra hard. It makes it so much more expensive to start a new business when you don't have all of those advantages that all the others had for how they got there. And when you add to that, the fact that people, especially minorities and women have a harder time getting access to money. So it's harder for them to get bank loans. And when they do, they tend to be for lower amounts, et cetera. So it's, it's hard to even get access to the, the tools to balance those scales. So you're right. And I don't know what I, I don't think there is a quick answer. I think if there was a quick answer, we'd have all already done it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that from a people perspective, like if you are looking, that's part of why I say, if you're looking for a job right now, and if you're not having luck, then you need to talk to somebody because there's something wrong with what you're doing. Either you have bad tools, so you have a shitty resume, you're not good at interviews, something right. like that, or you are not understanding the market. And so you're applying for the wrong kind of jobs. And I see that a lot. I see people who are like, they say they want these five things. I know those five things. And I'm like, oh, friend, <laughs> you think you know, you know nothing, Jon Snow, right? <laughs> like, and that's, so um, I use myself as an example on that. One of my girlfriends very sweetly sent me um, a, a job ad the other day. She was like, hey, you should totally pack in the whole business thing and go apply for this job. You'd be amazing. And it was like VP of talent acquisition for some like F50 company. And I was like, I appreciate that that's where you see me in your head. But let me tell you the laugh they would have at my resume. Have I been director of talent acquisition for an organization? Yes, I have. Have I been director of talent acquisition for a many thousand employee organization? Yes, I have. Is there a world of difference <laughs> between that and direct VP of talent acquisition for a global F50 company? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and like, so that's, you know, I am self-aware that I'm like a good four steps in my career from even entertaining that. But not everybody is. Some people see, oh, I did XYZ for this company for years. I totally know how to do that. No, girlfriend. No. I'm glad that you did a lot of, you know, this is especially true of people who work in like accounts receivable. They're like, oh, you know, I did, you know, um, ARAC for years for my company. I can totally do this job. Girl, your accounts receivable were like, less than 250k per annum this one is looking at 300k a month as just a different job 
Right. And what would you what would you suggest? What would you suggest to uh, you know to someone to really making sure that they're with e either in their niche or, or their expertise? And it's not to say obviously that you can't shoot for the moon and you know look for bigger and better and you know promoting yourself uh, in such a way that you you know because maybe the you, you were never presented the opportunity and you couldn't do the work. But what would you say is like the first step to make sure that they're at least heading in the right direction with their their skill set versus the actual job that they're that they think that they're qualified for? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I would say look at the numbers. So the numbers are your indication. If you are more than ten to twenty percent off from their numbers, that's not the same job. Nobody is going to take you from like, so my husband works for one of the big four and, um, he had, he had worked for huge companies before like Conoco Phillips, Microsoft, like not small players. And he had always talked about working at enterprise scale because he's worked for giant companies. Right. And then he got to the big four. And previously he had done software licensing negotiations for huge companies, like 150,000 employees, right? He was like, no, 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 600,000. He was like, we are the 10,000 pound gorilla in every room. <laughs> I think it's just like, it's not even a negotiation. We walk in and say, this is what you're going to change to the product if you want us to keep using it. Good talk. Here's what we're going to pay. And it's just, it's a total, like, he talks about and jokes about the fact that it's a totally different job. And that's true at smaller scales as well, right? Like, you ladies run your own business. You've been self-employed before. But, like, Janice, like, to use the example of a writer, somebody who says, oh, I'm a writer. I do a lot of content creation etc. Great. There is a fundamental difference between I'm, I do content creation, I manage communications for this small nonprofit, and I am head of communications for this global enterprise, you know, head of communications for ConocoPhillips. You can pay me enough to do that job. That's a shit show looking to happen, right? <laughs> because they're the kings of fracking, so everybody hates them. And on top of that, like with the continual layoffs in the petroleum market, some of which they have zero control over because it has to do with complex geopolitical structures around petroleum production. Like, and that's their job to manage that and try to make people hate them less. Oh, hell no. Mm -mm. Nope. But people who think that that's a one-to-one -one for them or think, oh, you know, I've, I've had a, a book published by like, my local creative writing group and they think that they know what it takes to have a new york times best-selling book those are not the same experiences right and so that's what i mean by scale if you do budgeting right the first time you look at a budget spreadsheet that has seven figures that you're responsible for that'll stop your heart i don't care how big and bad you think you are you're like oh shit. 
goodness me. What did I get myself into? <laughs> How the hell am I supposed to be responsible for $7 million a year? Who, the, who thought that was a good idea? Have they met me? <laughs> right? Like, that it's just, it's a different moment. And you have to have gone through some of those before you get into here. So I would say the numbers, let the numbers be your guide would be my first one. And then the other thing I would say is um, my recommendation to people is to get somebody in your sphere who you trust to be a reasonable person, but that, um, and give them a job ad that you're interested in and a highlighter and have them go through and highlight all of the things that are relevant, talk to them about what this job does, make sure they understand it. And then when they are ready, you give them covered up your resume and you put 20 seconds on the clock and you give them the same highlighter and you have them highlight in 20 seconds all the things in your resume that they can see that are applicable to that job. And if great, they have, great tool, if they find fewer than five things, you're never going to get that job. So you have a choice. You can rewrite your resume. Or if you go, I don't have more than things, like that's it, that's all I got, then that job is not gonna happen for you because that's that's how recruitment works. And that's being realistic and accountable to say, okay, this is, you know, this is my niche, this is my expertise. And while I may do some of that on a very small scale, I'm probably not gonna be a candidate for that company actually you know, sift through whatever they got to sift through, go through all the emails and, and a quick, 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 uh, yeah, that person just doesn't have what it takes. And I would imagine, Jan, don't you think that it would also really help that person to not set themselves up for failure by doing exactly what you said, don't you think, Jan? Well, yeah, because, the, you know, the thing too with uh, applying for jobs, you know, it wasn't, you know, years ago where, you know, I can remember going in with my resume and being hired on the spot. It's totally different. So when you're in my respectable age bracket, emailing out your resume, in some respects, it's a little bit, it's a little more intimidating, I think. Um, and that's why I think it's a great idea to have a real coach or recruitment specialist such as yourself, like go through the process of you know, having your resume reviewed to, you know, maybe change it around or, you know, if you're, for instance, applying in the, you know, software industry, you know, for instance, if I'm applying in the software industry, which I wouldn't do, um, my background is basically all legal. So, I could see somebody definitely bypassing. So it, it's not just send one resume out for any kind of job. So I think that has to be looked at as well. And I think, so the biggest thing for me, honestly, when you talk about, especially that age bracket situation is that the assumption for people our age and above, um, that is that you get a job by a resume these days. I will tell you right now, as for the roles that I'm recruiting for, the guys that I have that find me people that have, and if, if they don't find you, you don't have a chance because you go through them and then they go through me and then you get to go to the hiring manager. Um, 
they, I don't even see your resume. They don't look at resumes. They go straight to your LinkedIn. All I get is a link to your LinkedIn page. So if that's hot garbage, guess where you're not going. And ah, that's a great point. People do not realize how important LinkedIn is. And I will tell you the hiring managers, they don't read the resume. They click on your LinkedIn. First thing they do, click on your LinkedIn. So people grossly underestimate, especially people, like I said, who have been in the market for a while and think they know. The things that people think they know are probably the most dangerous things to them getting a job because you think you know modern recruitment, the hell you do, unless you are a recruiter. And it, one of the things that really, really frustrates me is when people who are not recruiters, who have never been recruiters, go around giving advice about job coaching, about resume writing and that sort of thing. I understand some of them say, well, you know, I was a hiring manager. Okay. So you know exactly your perspective as a hiring manager. And that's not that's not a not valuable thing, but it is not the same as somebody who knows how ATSs work and are configured, knows exactly how recruiters think, and you have to get through both of those steps before you ever get to a hiring manager, and who has worked with thousands of hiring managers and heard all of their bullshit. <laughs> we know all of those perspectives, and that is such a different place to be. And if I were a job seeker that needed that kind of help, I would not want anybody who did not have those kind of credentials. And when I hear really bad advice, when I see bad resumes, consistently, it comes from people who have non-recruitment backgrounds, who have decided for whatever reason that they're a great resume writer um, or that they're a really great career coach. So yeah. That's what would be one, one thing then? Okay. So you know, obviously you brought up LinkedIn, which is, is very true. What would you tell, you know, that person say, okay, let's, you know, look at your LinkedIn page and look at it differently. Um, what would be, uh, the question is going to be twofold. What would be the common, like the number one thing you think needs to be changed. And the one thing is like a no, no. So what people think is that LinkedIn is for headshots and uber professional, sober everything. That is not the case. Remember, recruiters are millennials now. Hiring managers are millennials. We want to see you as a human, as a three-dimensional character. So having a sense of humor on LinkedIn is great. Having a photo of you with a glass of wine in your hair and a top knot, that's fine. Like if that's your personal brand, go nuts. Um, but the old version of professional on LinkedIn is just dead. And I say that very authoritatively. I did actually a poll on LinkedIn about a month ago um, that had over 130,000 responses. Um, and it was over 80% of people on there said that they uh, 
preferred LinkedIn profile pictures that showed personality to ones that were headshots. So like, that's not just, I made that up one day for my personal opinion. <laughs> I actively right. solicited other opinions and that's where that market is. In terms of um, beyond that, you need to understand that you will turn up in searches for things. People, one of the things that people think they're doing that they think is smart is they set everything so that only recruiters can see it. That's a terrible idea um, because LinkedIn is just not that smart. It doesn't know who is a recruiter and who is doing things for recruitment reasons. When they say only recruiters, they mean people <clears throat> who have paid for the very specific recruiter package through LinkedIn, which is never going to be a hiring manager, which is almost never going to be HR, which is frankly, not even me. I pay for a different package on LinkedIn than the recruitment one. So I would not see any of that stuff. Believe me, if you're looking for the kind of jobs I'm hiring for, you want me to see. So you just gotta kind of get over yourself. Why are you hiding it so that only recruiters can see it? I hear a lot of people will say to me, oh, but what if my employer sees all this activity on LinkedIn and thinks I'm looking for a job? Okay, what are they gonna do? Really, what are they gonna do? Be annoyed? Okay, well, you're trying to leave anyway. So come on. <laughs> That's true. But also it's, it's a little narcissistic to feel like they would notice because the only way they would notice is if they went to your profile. And then my answer for what do I say is very simply, maybe point out that it's 2021 and that in 2021 professionals have a robust presence on LinkedIn and that you're not necessarily looking for work. You're just trying to look more professional and engage with the community more. And I feel like that's a, pretty goddamn fair answer <laughs> because yeah. you should be doing those things. Exactly. So that would be, those would be my, my big sort of high level LinkedIn tips. Wow. Yeah. There were lots of great information. I'm just, you know, whenever you think that you kind of understand what's going on with the job market or how to apply for a job or get a job, uh, it really gives you a lot of different things to think about. Wow. Right. Because yeah. I, I, again, it's, it's, you know, it's evolution. It's, it's just b being updated and current. And I think this past year, there's been so many pivots in many different directions that the average person looking for that job is kind of lost. They really don't even know that these changes have existed some have the mentality everyone's hiring just go out and get the job and really not sit back and say let me review where i'm at right now let me what, what do i look like on social media my linkedin you know my personal life my business life what do i look like and how will it be perceived in such a way that's going to highlight the best of my best self that they want me to be with associated with their company and or work for them so it is a different, totally different mindset for sure. And I think that it's new that companies want you to have a personality in the process. Like my, again, in the 20 years that I've been doing this, that has really shifted, right? That in the old days, it was very like, you come in and everybody's very somber and then you don't get a sense of personality or a sense of humor until later. Whereas now, I literally, when I'm talking to hiring managers, they're like, yeah, but what is he like? 
Like, is he cool? Would we want to have a beer with him? And that's a genuine kind of thing that they're they're thinking about and talking about. And that is so different from where we were for. And I think that what if, again, people who get career advice from folks not in those weeds, not having that conversation daily, it is so easy to be giving really bad, really out of date advice um, for people. And so like career services, especially like the state run ones that work with job seekers who are on unemployment, God bless them. Like they are so well-intentioned, but they are so far from the market. Right. Most of those people have never been in recruitment and none of those people are actively in recruitment today. And so with that being the case, like the advice that they give is just frankly bad. They say the worst for that for me that really doubly hurts my heart are the services that are available for our servicemen and women who are leaving the military. Every single time, every single time we see somebody who's transitioning from the military, their resume is just not something you could send to an employer. And so we have these people who have served our country for years, who are now trying to reconnect with their families and going through this huge emotional trauma of leaving what they know for, some, for civilian life and all of that. And they get sent out with these tools that are literally laughable. Like I, I, I cannot imagine why somebody would think that that would be a good resume. And it just absolutely kills me every time. We obviously offer a hefty discount to, you know, all veterans um, for this reason, but it is like, it's an ongoing problem because of who they have in those areas. And that I think makes it even harder because people think they're getting help and then they get bad help. And bad help, as I always say, is worse than no help at all, for sure. Wow, lots of great information. Um, and we are excited that obviously you're going to be on our 250th. On that note, in closing, how would our listeners and viewers get a hold of you? And I will make sure that your um, contact information gets below the this video. Sure. Um, they can email me. They can uh, call me. Um, my phone number, my Calendly, all of that is on my LinkedIn. Um, and if, viewers are, if, if your viewers and listeners are looking for work, they need to be on LinkedIn, as we discussed. Um, so they can all link in with me for sure, but I, I'm delighted. And I'm also, I'm not that person that's going to try to charge you to answer a two second question, like honestly. So please, 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 if you have a question, if you want me to look at your LinkedIn profile and tell you if you're doing it right, I have no problem doing that absolutely for free. Just send me a note, not a problem at all. If you want, you know, if you want us to rewrite your resume, yeah, we got to charge you for that because our kids like to eat, right. but like, <laughs> but the, you know, Quick questions, easy advice, all of that, not a problem. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, on that note, thank you again for being with us. We look forward to the 250th with you. My name is Janice, AKA Wellness Diva 5.0. And yes, I am nicer after kickboxing with two. Sisters, and this is Carol Sue, AKA Nani Boss. 
This is Wealth Wellness Wednesday. We've chatted a lot about getting you back in that work market, getting you back in that career market. But don't forget to always pay it forward, be kind, pay it forward, and I don't know, surprise someone today, an unsuspecting person. It's not about the money. It's just about the act. You guys have a great Wealth Wellness Wednesday. We will see you tomorrow for Trending Thursday. Hmm. I think we got a lot of things coming that are going to be trending. We hope to see you tomorrow. Have a great day, guys. Bye, everyone.